Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in this space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund-level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elsarai, our U.S. Director of Research, and together we'll share the latest news and trends in the U.S. commercial real estate market. Omar, it's great to be with you. Glad to be here. I know you were paying attention to the Beige Book this past week. For new listeners, do you want to remind folks what that is and maybe tell us a little bit about what else you've been paying attention to for CRE indicators? Sure, certainly. So the Fed's Beige Book, it's a report on current economic conditions across the United States, comes out eight times a year. And while it is mostly commentary driven, it does provide good color across major segments of the economy. And it brings to light various issues that business leaders and different regions are feeling and dealing with. The most recent issue of the Beige Book came out on the 18th of October, and there were a number of notable themes that I wanted to share that are relevant specifically to commercial real estate. One of those themes is that overall commercial real estate activity remains subdued. A lot of the commentary here from the different districts noted that financing conditions were really limiting and continued to limit investment activity as well as new construction. This really came to light through commentary noting how difficult it was to secure financing or changes in underwriting standards, which ultimately reduced proceeds for financing or increased cost of financing. Uh, But also in the Beige Book, Some of the commentary across the different regions called out deteriorating performance of fundamentals, notably across the office sector. This has been a sector that has gotten a lot of attention, not only in terms of leasing activity, but also in terms of rents and I would say troubled valuations or increased uncertainty around valuations. But in the most recent page book, I would say that multifamily started getting a little bit more of a call out in terms of deteriorating fundamentals. And a few of the districts noted a slowing construction pipeline and how that's impacting fundamentals. And this was noted across the Richmond, Minneapolis and Atlanta districts. And then a final note that I would make around takeaways from the Beige Book had to do with the perceived level of risk or just overall uncertainty that surrounds commercial real estate. And I thought that this commentary from the Beige Book Report really echoed some of the commentary that the Fed put out in another report that they do, which came out earlier this month as well, which was the Financial Stability Report. I think that it really goes to underscore the attention the market as well as regulators are aimed towards commercial real estate because it is such a big component of the economy as a whole. So while we are recording this on the 30th of October, all eyes are really on the Fed and their next policy rate decision coming in the next few days. 
And so that's something that we're going to continue to see play out and see how the this higher cost of capital environment reverberates really across the commercial real estate industry. But also coming out this last week and a little bit more timely was the GDP release. So the Bureau of Economic Analysis released its initial estimate of U.S. real GDP for the third quarter of 2023. And what really reflected is that the economy as a whole remains quite resilient despite this high rate environment. So the BEA's real GDP showed the economy growing at a annualized rate of 4.9% in the third quarter. This is the strongest growth since the fourth quarter of 2021. And while it is a rather large number, it was in line with expectations from across investors and many economists. And this was driven really predominantly by the consumer spending, which contributed 2.7% to that 4.9 real print. And consumer spending as a whole was up 4% on an annualized basis in the third quarter. And this was driven by spending on services. And while that is a very a strong print and it does show this resilient growth of the economy, I think an important point to make is recognizing the fact that a lot of this consumer spending is coming at the cost of savings. And so you're seeing consumer savings really depleted, but I think it's supportive in the short term. It may not be all that sustainable. So with the most recent GDP numbers, we also saw that disposable income declined at a 1% annualized pace in the third quarter and savings rate fell below 4%. So in the third quarter, it fell to 3.8%. That is down from 5.8% in the prior quarter. And Cole, I know you were paying attention to some other big macro releases, including new home sales, retail spending, as well as business inventory. What were some of the notable takeaways you had from those releases? Yeah, I think a lot of things I was taking a look at add some color to what you were just talking about with GDP, notably retail sales. So these have risen for the sixth straight month in September at 0.7% month on month. This is seasonally adjusted, so not inflation adjusted. But if you do adjust for inflation, you see a 0.3% increase in retail sales specifically. So online sales and automobile sales were actually up 1% month on month. But specialty store sales were up 3%, which is pretty huge, particularly because I think you would associate specialty store sales with luxury goods, proving that resilience of the consumer. Now, wages continue to outpace inflation. Consumer spending does continue to grow. And consumer spending is really about two-thirds of U.S. economic output. So these strong retail sales numbers are among large contributors or indicators of that Thursday release of GDP that kind of, while it didn't blow past expectations, I think there were some people who looked at the Atlanta Fed's GDP now number a few weeks ago and 5.8%. That's crazy. And here we are with nearly 5% growth. I would caveat this by saying that student loan repayments did not start until October. And so we may see a damper on retail sales or we may see this be a damper on retail sales in quarter four. So something we'll have to take a look out for in a month or two here. I also looked at business inventories. 
So these were up 0.4% month on month in August after only edging up uh, 0.1% in July. Year on year, they're up 1%. Pair this with sales though. So for all business, August represented the second month in which the inventory to sales ratio actually declined. So it sits right now at 1.37, which is not really far from the historical average, but a decline indicates that demand for retailer and wholesaler and manufacturer goods is actually stronger than those producers were anticipating. So this is likely due to the widespread perception among these entities that there might be a recession in 2023. And as evidenced by the GDP numbers, we've certainly avoided that for now. Lastly, new home sales, they came out on the 24th of October. These surged 12.3% year on year in September to a seasonally adjusted rate of 759,000. But existing home sales plunged 15.4% year on year, which make up a much larger portion of total home sales. However, this does make sense in the context of mortgage rates, right? We've talked about this on the past few podcasts that as of right now, back in August, the fixed 30-year fixed mortgage rate topped 7%, and now it's nearing 8% and may cross that within the next couple of weeks. Fannie Mae reported an average 30-year fixed mortgage rate of 7.79% on October 26th. And we also got some data from NAR that said unsold home inventory sits at about 3.4 months of supply. I mean, that's up from 3.2 months of supply from a year ago, but it's down significantly from what the NAR would consider a balanced year in which a six-month supply was pretty common. Bottom line here, homeowners are staying put in their existing homes at their low mortgage rates. I think you've seen a lot of brokers out there trying to make the case that if you can get into a house at 8%, perhaps in a year or two from now, you could refinance at a much lower rate. But I think people aren't sure that's a sure bargain. This is something we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast, but I think that you've seen this has still been a big boon to some of the multifamily REITs and apartment owners that have really collected those folks who have been locked out of the housing market for the time being. Now, turning to those earnings calls, I know you were looking at a few this week. Do you want to tell us maybe a little bit about what's going on in the banking sector, maybe with those commercial mortgage originations? Curious what you saw in those and what we might learn. Yeah, certainly. So we're knee deep in the earnings season and going through the financial institutions, starting with banks. There have been a number of, I would say, notable themes that have been emerging. Whether you're looking at some of the largest banks or some of the more specialized banks, a number of their calls are starting to reflect shared or common themes across the different lines of business. I would start first with the larger banks, as well as those that have more capital markets activity whether that's Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America. With regards to capital markets activity, it's been a pretty rough year. Overall, the markets are still quite functional, but year-on-year comparisons have been pretty rough. And overall, whether it's IPO or M&A activity, a lot of that fee-based business has been down. And on the calls, when the management teams are, are uh, providing any sort of guidance, they seem to be steering towards any sort of recovery of that business being pushed into 2024. Specifically on commercial real estate activity, I would say that the themes that are there are reserve built. They're, they're generally negative, 
but I would say still very sound. So there's often commentary around reserve building, write downs and charge offs. These are continuing through the third quarter as teams are really reviewing and reassessing their commercial real estate exposures. Now, I listened to Bank of America, M&T, along with Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and Bank OZK. And when they did have commentary on CRE, it was along the lines of reviewing, reassessing, and I would say reiterating their credit focus and the soundness of the collateral as well as their counterparts in these financings. And while they're doing these reviews and reassessments, they are considering different, I would say, assumptions, right? And the change in market conditions that has occurred over the last 18 months, but also reiterating that any new origination activity that they're doing, they are taking into consideration the changed environment. And I felt as though a lot of these calls are echoing some of those high-level reports and the commentary that we do get from the Fed around tightening. But at the company-specific level, the tightening is actually of the credit standards. And this is something that I think overall, in the short term, it is something that is a bit painful for anybody operating and seeking financing. But at the same time, it is something that I think the company-specific commentary is echoing that commercial real estate is still an area that lenders are interested in. One thing that I would note also coming out of these, especially on the bank calls, is that there hasn't been a, I don't think there's reason to believe any sort of large-scale exit from the commercial real estate business. So even if loans are getting criticized and reserves are being built, Many of the bank management teams still view this as a opportunity for long-term growth and an area where they are focused on the relationship aspect of the business. Outside of the bank space, a number of asset managers have also reported, and generally they've reported, I would say, optimism on improved fund flows. This was a big concern in prior quarters as a lot of, whether it was retail or or indirectly retail business coming through institutional channels was going towards money market and a shorter duration in cash-like securities. However, the management teams on the third quarter calls that have reported have noted that while there still is a lot of cash on the sidelines, it does seem as though it's getting ready to move or to be deployed towards more higher yield seeking vehicles. There's been some optimism spoken around the alts business as well as credit vehicles as serving as larger growth drivers going forward. And then specifically coming out of these calls, the commercial real estate commentary, I would say, is really surrounding the opportunistic nature of commercial real estate. And while there has been some trouble in like large scale deployment lately, into commercial real estate opportunities. I think that the commentary that management teams have provided does point towards continued interest in commercial real estate, whether on the equity side, it's looking opportunistically for some sort of price reset and it's ready to be deployed in any sort of basis reset, or on the credit side and looking at it from the lens of 
stepping in and either supplementing or replacing what would be traditional bank credit for the space. And I know that you've been listening to a lot of earnings calls as well. So turning attention to more CRE specific and CRE related earnings, what have you been hearing? Yeah, you know, you discussed that basis reset, and I think that a lot of the brokerages would probably be looking for that to happen soon. A brokerage is a uh, transaction-based business, and so these earnings calls really reflected their struggles with this sluggish transaction activity. CBRE said that they were eyeing a recovery in the second half of 2024. They weren't super confident about that, but I think that a lot of these brokerages, CBRE, JLL, they were really in expansion mode in 2022 as transaction volume was abnormally high. And now with that contraction, they're in cost reduction mode. And so they're really ramping up those cost reductions after a really strong 2022. Something interesting that I noted from those brokerage calls too, is that industrial leasing is starting to be a bit of a challenge. They spent a lot of 2020, 2021, and 2022, really ramping up their large-scale industrial leasing for e-commerce providers, third-party logistics providers. And now they are having trouble fielding interest from a lot of those occupiers. So those large occupiers are holding off on their decisions until there's more clarity about the economy, until there's more clarity about world geopolitical events and more certainty about what their supply chains are going to need to look like hereafter. Um, I also took a look at REITs. And so we had some interesting themes across industrial office and retail. So on the industrial side, reflecting some of those things you heard from the brokerage firms, there's been a new wave of supply that has pushed a lot of downward pressure on market rents. Now, completions are outpacing absorption. Notably, Prologis executives expect this to reverse in late 2024 as a lot of that space that's coming online may be filled up. Prologis itself has an almost 98% occupancy, which is just remarkable. Rexford is another one that reported recently. They are an industrial REIT that focuses specifically on the Southern California market. So the sort of Los Angeles County and Orange County market, in addition to the Inland Empire. What they found is that they went on a big buying spree in 2022, and they were still interested in a bunch of deals in the Southern California market, but they're finding that with increased cost of capital, that a lot of these are not penciling out the way they wanted them to. And so there's been slowing rent growth in Southern California, but there's been a lot of new supply in the Inland Empire market. And pair that with some of the stuff we heard from the brokerage firms. If some of these big occupiers have shied away from taking up a lot of space or slowed their search for new space as they're waiting out clarity on the economy and geopolitical events, then I can see how this would be something that Rexford and Pilatus might be worried about. So I found that pretty interesting. There was also uh, some news in the office sector. SL Green, who is the largest office owner in New York City, is holding strong amidst a challenging office environment uh, due to work from home and remote work policies. Despite all this, they have quite a few leases in the pipeline, and they did quite well this quarter relative to expectations. Empire State Realty Trust was also a beat. They're another big New York City office owner. They had a strong quarter three for 
Manhattan office leasing. Their Manhattan office portfolio is nearly 92% leased, which was up 250 basis points from a year ago. They were very proud to announce a new expansion signed at the Empire State Building. So LinkedIn, who's a, a subsidiary of Microsoft, signed a massive expansion there at the Empire State Building, despite actually shedding workforce elsewhere. I think they were happy to be a recipient of some of this consolidation of a lot of LinkedIn's workforce. And soon they will occupy nearly a half million square feet at that building. ESRT is also an interesting one because they have a large tourism business. And that's basically just the observatory that's on top of the Empire State Building. We talked a little bit about kind of consumer spending remaining elevated. Travel demand is still pretty high. And their tourism business has fully recovered to 2019 levels. They're right at 99% of revenue by the end of the third quarter. So another testament to New York City's resilience, in addition to the domestic travel and international travelers' resilience, it's like strange economic uncertainty. So an, an interesting nugget there in their earnings call. Also, we had some retail news. Um, I was taking a look at Kimco's earnings. So this was a beat. They saw really strong releasing trends. So in-place contract rents versus market rents, their spread was 13%, which is pretty high. Now, they had exposure this quarter to 16 of the Bed Bath & Beyond stores that closed after their liquidation, which drove their occupancy down in the third quarter by 45 basis points. But their same store or their same center, NOI, actually exceeded 2%, which was well over analyst expectations or estimates of 1%. And honestly, it seems like Kimco is very happy to take back a lot of those Bed Bath & Beyond the anchors, capture back those boxes, because with a in-place contract rent to market rent spread at 13%, you have the opportunity to really capture the upside um, from those vacancies. And so they also acquired RPT Realty this quarter, but that deal is not expected to close until mid-2024. So they didn't offer a ton of commentary about this. They will change their guidance likely in first quarter of 2024 once that's fully digested. But a lot of interesting things going on in the REIT sector, and I'm sure we'll have a few of them coming up here soon. Now, Omar, I know you've got a lot slated to look at in the next couple of weeks here. You want to tell us what macro releases you're looking out for? Yeah, sure. This is going to be a full week with the Fed announcement on the 1st. But leading up to that, we have some home price data coming out on the 31st of October, as well as some consumer confidence data and the ADP employment numbers, as well as the JOLT survey. JOLT's data will be coming out on the 1st, same day as the Fed, along with some construction spending data. And then after the Fed's rate decision, we have jobless claims numbers coming out on the 2nd of November, as well as one of my favorite surveys, which is the Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey coming out on the 6th of next week. And while we're in the midst of earnings, what earnings are on your radar? We got a lot of REIT earnings this and next week. By the time we record this podcast, Simon Property Group will have had their calls. So I look forward to sharing some insights from them a couple of weeks. Obviously, the largest regional mall operator in the United States. So Urban Edge Properties is also having their earnings call this week, in addition to Bricksmore Property Group and Kite. So some traditional grocery anchored REITs there that 
have performed extremely well throughout and since the pandemic. So I'll be looking forward to reading some of their commentary. Also, we have Vornado and Mace Rich, which is another large public U.S. mall REIT. So should be interesting there. They have a portfolio of properties that I think is a good barometer for the way consumer spending might look. They have some very high profile assets in super regional malls in large global entry cities and also everything down to some small properties in even tertiary markets in the U.S. So I'll be super interested to hear their commentary on sales and leasing. Also, by the time we release, we'll have Cushman and Wakefield, another big brokerage that actually came out today as we're recording this. So I look forward to digesting their commentary as well. In the same vein, I know you have a couple of announcements that you want to share with listeners. What do you got for us? Yeah, we have the State of the Market Canada edition coming up next week on the 9th of November. And for folks who weren't able to tune in to the live recording of the U.S. State of the Market, I would encourage you to either go to our site or you can see it in the show notes. This was a recording that we did maybe two weeks ago now, as well as upcoming also have the Opus breakdown of the Nacrief Odyssey results, which is going to be on the 7th of November. So I would encourage you to tune in for that webinar as well. So we have a full slate of, I'd say, Altus and non-Altus calls and releases coming up. So enough for us to digest. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to those, as I'm sure you are. But I think that's all the time we have today. And I look forward to speaking with you in a few weeks on another episode of the CRE Exchange. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast, powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.